Do you trust your manager? Do you think our values are well represented? And then when we evaluate performance, we evaluate the extent to which your behavior demonstrates and emulates our values. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace. Today, we're here with Larry Donovan, CEO of Namely. You probably already know what Namely is, but I'll tell you anyway. Namely is the HR payroll and benefits platform that your employees will love. This is a little bit of a commercial. I'll let Larry give you more of a description. (laughs) Finally, there's an HR software that employees actually use built to fit your company culture. So you can manage all of your HR data in one place with personalized service to help your company get better and faster. Namely is used by some of the world's most innovative and exciting companies in media, tech, commerce, et cetera. Larry, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Tell us more about Namely, how long you've been there, kind of the focus of the company now. What's We get what the flagship is, perhaps, or what you're focused on, where you're going, et cetera. Sure. Thank you. So, yeah, I am the CEO of Namely. I've been here for two and a half years. I've spent my entire 30 plus year career in HR technology. So I jokingly say it's the only thing in life that I can claim I'm an expert in. And namely special because we are um, very much a specific kind of company. And that's a typically a mid-market company that that is between 50 and 500 employees, as you noted, generally in industries that are very people-centric. And most importantly, you know, we specialize in that customer, whether it's the products we sell, the service we deliver, or the, the way we organize and have our employees think about the needs of that customer. And we think that's important. That's awesome. So for you, you know, just as a CEO of this company, have you been in this role many times through many companies over the years? Is the CEO role new for you? If you would share, since people aren't logged into LinkedIn, whether listening here, perhaps. Sure. Um, it is my second role as okay. a CEO, although the first one was really an interim role. I was the chairman of the board of a company okay. called Think HR, which is now Mineral, and so, which I still serve as the board chair for. So I served as the CEO yeah. there for about nine months before joining me. Yeah. Awesome. How are you enjoying it these last two and a half years, that role in particular? Well, you know, it's the loneliest job on the planet. That is for sure. And the probably the thing I can, well, I have to step back and say that the pinnacle of my career in my head was always to be a CEO of an HR technology company in New York City. How many of those are there? One. Right. (laughs) And because I, since I was 18, I wanted to live in New York. So, of course, we upped and moved to New York in the summer of 2019, did the New York thing for about nine months, which is deer in headlights when you're a new CEO. And then guess what happened? The pandemic. 
I think the thing that characterizes the most is all the things that I didn't expect to happen and the ones that I did. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of the pandemic, how has that been impacting you guys from a business standpoint and then maybe more importantly to the podcast from a recruiting standpoint, knowing that you've got this remote thing happening, you've got Gen Z's flooding the workforce, there's a lot changing in terms of bringing folks in, attracting, retaining, et cetera. How's all that going over these last couple of years? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, when the pandemic first hit, that was all kind of deer in headlights. Nobody knew it was going to happen. No one knew what we were going to do. Turnover actually generally moderated because people are like kind of frozen in place to see what was going to happen. Mm. And, you know, for us, that was a time to really focus on the fundamentals. We really doubled down on our product and service initiatives because we didn't know if customers were going to buy. And so we made a series of strategic choices there to just be very inwardly focused, not just in terms of our people, but our process and our technology. You know, and of course, a big part of that was helping employees navigate such a difficult time in our lives. You add to that, you know, you add the craziness of the presidential election. You add all the social and racial unrest. I mean, it's just everything was about really finding that opportunity to reestablish the kind of relationship you're going to have Mm. with employees. And then, you know, for for me as a CEO, how you were going to live the values. I mean, there was never a time where living the values was more important. And fortunately for me, I had just finished tweaking the values a few months earlier as I became the CEO. So it was an interesting time to kind of converge. At the same time, our customers were shrinking in headcount like mad, and we weren't sure how that was going to recover, which of course we now know, you know, it, it went on fire, right? Who would have imagined that everybody on the planet would want buy a house and the economy would surge in such a way that the jobs were you know beyond plentiful in our recent memory and then that we'd all wake up and say you know life as we knew it isn't good enough so we're going to think about all things and therefore dozens of thousands and gazillions of us are going to change jobs while we're <laughs> yeah i don't know who could have predicted all of that at one time larry well that's great i mean it, it sounds like it was fairly i mean a pandemic's never timely but this idea that you got to come in, rethink about the values, kind of establish your leadership there as you were going into that, I think was probably a bit of a freshening of things, uh, not to put words in your mouth in terms of just the culture and so forth. I'm curious, I've seen Namely pop up being celebrated for diversity, leadership, career growth, and several awards out there in the last year or two that I've seen Tell me about that. You know, what 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 in particular has been the focus when it comes to you called it our relationship with our employees, which is like my favorite phrase is that as literally in the mission of the company that I lead It's about the relationship between employer and employee. Uh, So tell me more about just the the focus of where you've been thinking about you know, bringing, I saw, I saw your program called Speak Her Mind for women in the company, for example, what else, you know, talk about Speak Her Mind, if you will, but anything else you'd like to share just about where you're focused culturally? Sure. You know, I think first and foremost, we have a very young workforce. Our average employee is in late twenties, early thirties. You know, I'm 60. I have two 30 year old twin daughters. So I sort of have some claim to fame about understanding how that psyche works. First and foremost, for me as a CEO, it was a major leap. I mean, I am a white man of privilege in 2022. I will jokingly say that as a gay man, I can sort of make certain claims about that, but not really at the end of the day. Mm. I have benefited from white privilege regardless of the other parts of my life that are interesting perhaps. But Mm. I had to completely reprogram my brain about how we needed to think about the world and how we had to think about leading. And for me, that was really coming to terms with so many things about my own belief system. My parents were racist. 
experiences. And some of that stuff carried over. So I had to really figure out first and foremost, what kind of leader I needed to be. And that was a journey. Right. And trying to do that in real time, it's kind of like repaving the road, you know, while the cars are on it. Right. That was number one. Number two, it was really about doubling down on what was important in the business. So we were fortunate that we had a very strong network of employee resource groups, the Women In Team being one of them that promotes the mm -hmm. Speaker Mind series, which is an amazing program that is really championed by our board chair, Elisa Steele, who is a very well-respected leader in Silicon Valley, who I appreciate immensely. And then some other things we did was we took a very strong stand about putting it out there in terms of how we were going to look at the outside world with respect to all the things that were going on. We initiated some programs internally, one which I'm particularly proud of, which was a development program that employees could apply for. And the first two cohorts, we gave preference to employees of color in less senior roles to really drive career development. And unfortunately, we lost one of those guys two weeks ago, but I was so thrilled because he did all the things I was encouraging him to do. And I'd said to him from the start, I don't care if you stay here. I just want right. to see your life go in another direction mm -hmm. and we can replace the role he was in. And like that kind of stuff has yeah. been really important. Some of that's a bit more personal in terms of the commitments that I made, but then sure. broadly, we really doubled down on supporting initiatives, both financially and with time. And we really let our ERGs take the lead in that. My job and the job of my chief people officer was really to support that. Now, I will say, and some of your listeners might, might, this might resonate, we were still very challenged getting employee leaders to participate and drive some of those initiatives. Everybody wants it, uh, but not uh -huh. enough people want to lead it. So that's probably, if there's yeah. one challenge that's been the largest, I would say it's that. I love all of that. And I really appreciate your vulnerability to say, hey, here's how I grew up. Here's my situation at home and some of the things that you were around. And I, and I can relate to that also as a privileged white male. One thing that I really love is you described so much about what your company's doing. And then you said, well, these are things that are really personal. These are personal commitments that I made. And I think that's actually the crux of what is so important about culture building is because if you're not making the personal commitment, right. nobody else is going to exactly. do it, not in any genuine way, right? And so that vulnerability, that talking about your transformation, what you've learned, the way you've committed to certain things, that's everything. I don't see any companies out there that have leaders that are checked out, that have employees that are checked in. You know, it's just not a thing. So that's really fantastic and great to hear. I want to ask you about the great reshuffling, the great resignation, all of that. You mentioned that it seems as though the younger generations are a little less hung up on their salary and the status and some of those things and a little bit more, if not a lot more concerned with who they're working for, the mission, how they're treated, the culture, et cetera, right? And this idea of employer brand has sort of been dubbed here in the last few years. I'm curious to hear from you, what do you hope your employer brand is? In other words, for our listeners, if you don't know the term, what I'm asking Larry is, what do you hope employees are saying about Namely? Whether they're former employees, current or prospective, what do you want that reputation to be? I think by a wide margin, most importantly, that we live our values, that people understand them. Um, and that they actually believe that we follow them. Some of our most important values are authenticity and empathy and accountability mm -hmm. and sense of urgency though, thematically. And it is just as important to care about the customer as to care about the solution. Right. And our job, especially right now, we do a lot of work with taxing authorities and you know, you get a problem, those guys are nowhere to be found. You can't reach them. Employees are screaming because there's a legitimate issue that they don't know how to deal with. 
And then there's this giant black hole in the state of wherever where you can't get through to anybody. That's a great example and just one of many where empathy and solving the problem are probably equally important. So as I think about the brand, and and listen, I say this independently of whether somebody has stayed or left because, you know, our turnover hasn't increased materially, but it hasn't gone down. It had gone down for a bit. But, you know, we're right about it, the industry average, you know, which I'm thankful for because, you know, many are dealing with greater. But at the same time, people are making very fundamental choices about how they want to live their life. And Mm. there's also times and places where people just need to make a change. It doesn't even matter Mm. whether the grass looks obviously greener. I've had a number of examples of that. But let me tell you something. Any illusion that they don't care about money, I patently disagree with. (laughs) Now, some of that, by the way, is driven by the inflationary labor market. Yeah. So I will tell you that 50% of the undesirable turnover is because somebody got an offer financially. I can't imagine. And I have had the conversation with more than one person only because I happen to know some of these companies they've chosen to go to is to say, I don't think the grass is going to be greener, but I get the fact that they're paying you this much more. You got to make good choices for you and your family. And I respect that. And by the way, what happens on the flip side is when that happens, I have existing employees saying, well, individual A, B, and C quit. What are you going to do about it? And I honestly, like in my soul, what I want to say is nothing. Right. Right. (laughs) But that doesn't resonate well for people because they think Mm -hmm. you're going to have some brilliant answer. But the real answer is people are going to make choices. And if I don't have something actionable that says, oh, my God, I can't I can fix this and I can't allow it to continue because people are leaving. Of course, I'll do that. That's easy. But that's rarely the case. And so the answer is you have to rebuild. People don't like to hear that. But on the flip side, Mm -hmm. it's also creating a lot of opportunities for the people that choose to stay. You know, and in the end. I don't have a choice but to live with it. So you got to make lemonade out of the lemons, period. Yeah, it's true. That's the hard thing about culture and about this idea. And, and we try really hard in my company to not use this word, but to not call each other family. Right? I, oh, I, family, I, I'm totally with Family doesn't leave. Family doesn't switch teams, right? Like we, we're a team and people will come and they will go. And sometimes That's for right. fantastic reasons and sometimes because of ugly reasons. Yeah. And we want to avoid all the ugly reasons we possibly can. But ultimately, we're a team, you know, and and a really high functioning team that's on about a mission that we're trying to achieve. And we're going to treat each other with respect and dignity and as much love as we possibly can while we're on a team together. And maybe even beyond that as friendships form, Mm -hmm. you know, but I get the same question. It's just like, how are we going to fix it? You know, (laughs) we're not, you know, people are going to just make changes in their lives. I just, I viscerally react to that family notion. And by the way, I have former colleagues that most definitely are family, you know, and I have my family of origin. I have my chosen family. And some of those people in my chosen family are people that I met through work. And I have a few people that work here that are, I would consider family. And we manage that relationship with care, you know, and it's fine because- Frankly, when they're family, you'll care about that relationship more than the professional one. And we'll figure it out. If the professional thing isn't working, we'll find a way to separate it. But we won't do it at the expense of that relationship, I hope. That doesn't always work out, but generally, I think. Yeah. And some of the people I work with today might become family. I hope that happens with a handful of them. But you don't know that until you're not working together anymore. That's right. Yeah, you don't know. It's kind of like uh, leaving college and you, you kind of find out who your friends really were because exactly. you, you keep up with a small, small percentage. I want to ask you about future of work, some of the ideas that are circulating right now. So four-day work weeks out there, 
the idea. Unlimited PTO has been out there for a while, but I think some of the shortcomings have come to light and maybe you've got opinions on that. Trying to help with mental health, flexible hours, work from anywhere. There's a lot out there. Have you guys considered or have you even made a change in some way based on some of these new concepts and ideas and, and maybe you could call them demands from the workforce? Yeah. I mean, we went hundred percent remote, right? We just closed our office in New York two weeks ago. Thankfully we found someone to rent it, which was a miracle in and of itself. Yeah, um, seriously. So we did that. We actually are thinking about a four day work week. I'm not as enthusiastic about that because it has a whole range of other challenges. Mm -hmm. And I've done a four-day work week before, and your four days are pretty tight if you have yeah. other stuff going on. We're actually contemplating a four-and-a-half-day work week. We will probably okay. test that this summer because we've always had like a summer Friday program every other Friday during the summer. But at the end of the day, I always laugh because, you know, you see there's so much of this stuff on LinkedIn now yeah. that's yeah. kind of, right. you know, projecting all these things. And I get that there's a lot of companies where people haven't had this kind of flexibility, mm -hmm. but I have not ever worked in one and I have never <laughs> led in one. So I really don't yeah. understand it. Mm. You know, so from the day I became a leader, it was always like, listen, I'm going to trust you. And if you betray my trust, we have a serious problem. But if you don't, we're right. good. In which case, right. and do I maybe get the most productivity out of people every single day? Probably don't, but I don't care. Probably not. Um, yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, I guarantee you that that's going to work out. I just had a situation where one of my key team members at a very pivotal time, his wife's having a baby and he's going out on maternity leave. And he was like, he came to me to have this whole conversation of all the things he was going to try to do to make it right. I'm like, it's ridiculous. Neither one of us are ever going to wish that you would spend more time helping me at this time than you were bonding with the baby. Go on your damn maternity leave and I can talk to you later. We'll figure it out. But when I was younger, and I think young leaders, like the thought of, a, of an employee going on a, leave, a paternity leave would freak them out. Now it's just like, whatever, yeah. deal with it. Yeah. I mean, we work with people, you know, we, we don't hire machines, <laughs> just produce, right? They have lives and they have needs and people they love. And it's really fortunate you've never had to work in that kind of culture. You know, I mean, that's amazing. And I think that's exactly the reason why I think all of this on LinkedIn and, you know, all the boom around these quote unquote new ideas, why that's good yeah. is because the companies with not such high culture maybe will jump on the bandwagon yeah. now. You know, because they're losing so bad on talent that maybe they'll get. And so hopefully it's a rising tides thing. We will see. So I wanted to get a bit of advice from you. Speaking of young leaders, I'm a young leader. I've been CEO of a company for three years, my first CEO gig, first startup, and I could use some. So I'd love to hear in your experience, just a few things early on building culture establishing who we are, what our identity is. What are some things that I just can't afford to screw up? One or two things you're like, hey, do not get this wrong because you can't recover from it or it's going to be really hard to do. Well, first and foremost, I alluded to earlier, it's values. Mm -hmm. Identify and establish a values. And the way to test whether you've done them right is you never change them. Like values mm -hmm. should never change. Goals, yeah. mission, objectives, strategies can all change. But if the values really only change when the CEO changes. I've seen some CEOs who like to tweak their values like, no, 
And I only took one bite at that apple when I first joined the company. And I promised myself, or at least if I felt like I had to change it, I would have to declare it a fit myself a failure in a very important aspect. Because here's why it matters. Values give us vocabulary. Vocabulary gives us a way to connect on those issues independent of the circumstance and the emotion. And so when those link together, you can always go back to saying, you know what, you just weren't accountable in that moment. Or in that moment, do you think you were empathetic towards the customer? The rest of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody else was in on it or something else happened. You can have a very concrete discussion about was it values appropriate behavior? And if it was, great. And if it wasn't, it's a learning and a coaching opportunity. Okay, now I have another question. I was going to have that be the last one, but you've prompted a follow-up question. All right. Wishes, because I love that. And values give us vocabulary. I'm stealing that. I'm using that. Just wanted to let you know. Please <laughs> My question is, at a company of the size, and you guys are, forgive me, you're five or 600? 300. 300. 300 employees which is much bigger than my company at this point, with 300 employees or 500 or 1,000, whatever it is, it's much too big for you to have personal relationships with every last employee, right? So how do you take those values as a leader? And again, I know I'm asking one single (laughs) human being, right? You have a whole team, but how do you take those values and make sure that your employees understand that you believe them that you're walking them, right? And that you have all those things. You have empathy for them. How do you maintain that trust between you mm-hmm. as the CEO and all everyone else? Yep. Well, first and foremost, it's all about your actions. People mm-hmm. watch what you do. So everybody sees what I do. I don't see what everybody else right. does, to your point earlier. That's right. But that, that has two dimensions to it that are super important. One, which is never stop talking about it to your leaders and create those coaching and learning and teaching moments where you've done that. And so unless I have done that down the chain and encouraged each of the leaders to drive and live and demonstrate those values, it doesn't matter. But then on a very more objective basis, we measure it through our engagement surveys. And we ask very clear questions. Do you trust your manager? Do you think our values are well represented? And then when we evaluate performance, we evaluate the extent to which your behavior demonstrates and emulates our values. And that's also a great coaching opportunity, again, independent from, did I get a 5% increase or not? Or did I get exceed expectations? Like, in this moment, you did not have empathy. It is a problem. You accomplished all these other objectives. You know, the classic salesperson who blows the number away, but drives everyone around them crazy. That's how you connect the dots. That's great. Yeah, those coaching moments. I love that. And it ties into what you talked about with Some people will stay a long time and some will go, but if they learn empathy, right, at Namely, no matter where they go in the world, career-wise, relationship-wise, or otherwise, they'll be more of a blessing, if you will, to the people that they're around as a result of that lesson. So I think that's one thing that we all need to bear in mind as leaders, as people, teams, and so forth, is that we're not just building and caring for and kind of shepherding employees. These are human beings that will impact the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people outside of work as we sort of help build character. Yeah. I always, I always sort of jokingly say, I care about, if you're going to put it on a percentage basis, 50% of my interest is in the journey. 49% is about the outcomes. When I was a leader of a very large sales organization, I would say that out loud and say, probably not the greatest profile for a sales leader. Probably is the right profile for a CEO, but 
Yeah, I love that. Well, Larry, thanks so much. This has been great. I've got some I've got some great personal notes. I'm sure our listeners took a bunch away from this as well. If people have questions for you or they want to book you on their podcast or anything like that, is LinkedIn the best place to reach out to you to to contact? Um, even easier, Larry at Namely.com. Larry at Namely.com. I love it. Just throws out the email address. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Larry. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jordan. All right. Uh, We'll see you next time on Bragworthy Culture. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.